John 21 for our scripture reading. This is message 82 in our series on the Gospel of John. What a wonderful book it is, is it not? This is really the, the epilogue. If you've ever read a book and you, you come to this huge battle and the scene is done and the good guys win as they're usually always supposed to do and they're going back home and then they have epilogue. Well, so-and-so married so-and-so and lived happily ever after and, and so-and-so had bought a farm and they lived happily ever after and so-and-so went to school. This is the epilogue, of, if you would, of John's gospel. It started with a prologue, the first 18 verses, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, all the way through verse 18. That was the prologue. Then we have the main sandwich in the middle, and then we have, if you want, the bottom slice, the epilogue, and that is chapter 21. We find in, it says for us in our text in John chapter 21, the very first verse, and these things. Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. They were together, Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana of Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. Fishing. They said unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and they that night they caught nothing. I have to say, I can very well know what that talk feels like. Daytime caught nothing. And when the morning uh, was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus saith unto them, Children, have you any meat? Answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on what we call the right side of the fish, and they shall find. And they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. May the Lord's blessing to the reading of his word, you know, is just a ship's width between blessing and drought. Just try the other side of the ship. If you'll trust me, I will do great things. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless the reading of your word to our hearts and minds. May I say nothing amiss be it those teaching downstairs. Thank you for each one who's able to be here. There are some who would like to be here and cannot. Lord, there are those who should be and are not. I pray that you speak to the hearts of your children, that we would be serious about serving you. Lord, it seems time is short for this world as it is now, that you're going to come back. It would seem soon. We know you are coming back, perhaps today. But the events of this world seem to lead us to believe it's not too distant away. And so, Lord, may we be faithful. May we glorify you with our lives and words. So help me today, Lord. Forgive me of sin. Empty me of self. And please fill me with your spirit today. That would say nothing that distracts from your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, again, this is the closing chapter. If you go back and read... Uh, the 20, uh, 20, 30, and 31, we might see that as the end and many other signs truly to Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God and that believing you might have life through his name. Some even conclude have concluded that someone other than John wrote that last chapter, this last chapter. However, there's no evidence at all that it ever circulated without this chapter, and all existing manuscripts we understand include this chapter. So it really is a wonderful epilogue to John's gospel. Uh, Andreas Kostenberger says, the presence of an epilogue seems required by the opening prologue in order to preserve balance and symmetry of structure. Hence, both prologue and epilogue frame the gospel in such a way that they form an integral part of the theological and literary fabric, fabric, fabric I'm sorry, of the entire narrative. And by the way, if you remember also that 
chapter divisions were not added till about 1205 AD and verse divisions to about 1551 AD. So when you add those things together, uh, they did not have it neatly divided as we have here. The average reader it reads those two verses at the end of 20. Well, he was pretty much done. And why did he add that on? He added this on by the Holy Spirit's, I believe, prompting to do so. And it gives us a record, first of all, of the recalling of Simon Peter to service. We're going to see that next time. Lovest thou me more than these? A question we must all ask ourselves. What is our priority? And then also, if you remember, and if you look at 21-23, I think the other reason was this. 21-23. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that the disciples should not, John should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him that he shall not die, but if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? So the rumor was that John is going to live until Jesus comes back. He's dispelling that rumor because he is the John they're talking about, and he is the writer. That's Charlie at Sunday school, home run for Charlie. I said, who wrote the book of Revelation? He said, God. That's right. Now, who was the human instrument he chose to write that? And John the Revelator. But it, it, so there's a purpose. And by the way, God always has a purpose for the way he does things. These 66 books, these are what God chose for us. We only recognize as a church or as Christians what God has already chosen to be. Interestingly, what was one of the reformers was Zwingli that did not consider the book of Revelation or one of the books as part of the canon. God chose what he wanted for his. And so an integral part of, of our, is the Revelation, is part of our canon. We understand that. So two big points. Number one, a presumptuous move, the first three verses. And we see the place. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Now, that may not ring too clear of a bell unless I would say, oh, the Sea of Galilee. Oh, the Sea of Chenereth or Genezareth. Four names, one body of water. So, Sea of Tiberias. Tiberias is a town on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee named for Emperor Tiberius, etc. So, that's why John uses that name. Remember, he's writing about 90, 95 AD after all the other gospel writers have gone by the way and the gospels have all been written. He, the, already the schisms have developed and people saying Jesus is not God. John says, no. He, in the beginning, was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. Started out from the beginning. I'm writing my wife a love letter. I'm going to say, I want you to know, Stephanie, dear Stephanie, I love you more than any other human being in all the world. I should write something like that, I think. <laughs> anyway, I wanted to know from the beginning why I'm, why is he writing me a letter? He never sends, he's not romantic and he never sends me a letter, so why is he doing this? So, I mean, I need to get over that. I'm just not a romantic person, I'm sorry. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is over, so they're going to have left Jerusalem. Remember, just last time, John, uh, Thomas says, my Lord and my God, that was the eighth day after the resurrection. They have left now and they've gone back. Matter of fact, Jesus says, Go, I will meet them in Galilee. So that's why they're on the shore of Galilee. It says in Mark 16, but go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goes before you into Galilee. There shall you see him as he said unto you. I want you I'm just thinking right now, a lot of this chapter, especially the first part, is for Peter. I know you know that already. But that's why John includes it. John, Peter, James, and John, very good friends, possibly shipping partners together, and very, as you well know, and so... We want to see. Without chapter 21, we would wonder why the first 12 books of the Acts of the Apostles and the power of the Spirit, why they talk about Peter so much, the apostles to the, the Jews, because he has been re 
Certified, if you would. You, you, you go to a, a car dealership. This is a certified used car. We've gone through 500,000 inspection points, and we're going to sell it to you as a certified used vehicle. Peter's now been recertified as an apostle, and he gets on fire for God, does he not? He does. The, the place, the partners, too. 21-2, they were together, Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples. Isn't it interesting that perhaps he left that two other disciples so we can find ourselves in the same boat with the other five? That we are going to perhaps toil all night sometimes and catch naught and wait for the master to come along and says, well, if you'll do this, if you'll trust me, there'll be provision for you. It possibly was, as you well know, likely a good, a good friend. Philip might have been the one. We're not sure who the other people were. Andrew, Peter and Andrew might have been the other two. We're not sure. We don't have to know. Five together, the proposal in verse 3. Place, partners, proposal. Simon Peter said unto them, I go fishing. A fishing. I want to say without the G, I go a fishing. They say unto him, we go also with thee. Now, we're going to start throwing stones immediately. Did they not know what they're going to do? No, they did not know what God's called them to completely do in the future. Perhaps their family, perhaps the loaves of bread had run out. Perhaps there was no food on the table. Perhaps their electric bill was due. Perhaps their gas bill, perhaps their water bill is going to go up. Uh, Perhaps these kind of things are going to happen. And and i got to provide for my family. So before we say, man, they were so unspiritual to start doing things, well, just wait just a moment now before we do that. Think about it practically. Put ourselves in their sandals. The purpose is not to bring the, the church, the, the Bible up to our era and put all of the things that we think are right. The purpose is to go to the context. Without the context of the Bible, it misses the meaning God has for us. And so before we, we, and we, we understand We've seen it in our own country the last three or four years, how they're going back into history and they're putting what we think should have done back into history and destroying those people who don't think as we think now. As if we somehow know what people in 1865 thought or what they were going through. We are just so arrogant sometimes, are we not? I'm not saying it. Well, I am arrogant sometimes. It's possible in things that you... Sometimes we all are, but our country, I was telling someone, I think this past week, if you go outside of America, we are known as a very arrogant people. We're not, everybody likes Americans. You should go outside of America. You want to think, everybody likes Americans. Well, you should find out for yourself. There's the proposal. Now, the Lord has instructed them, go back to Galilee. I'll meet you there. They're by the Sea of Tiberias. And again, they're going to start fishing. Peter's going to go fishing. Peter has a great influence on the others. Remember, Peter's really uh, the leader in a way, in many regards, and still they're going to follow him. Uh, he'd been called, but he had been called from, again, there's, a, there's some who say, you know, they're absolutely wrong to do this. Some say they're, it's okay for them to do this. I think they were not the right direction. Why would I say that? Because a little bit later, God's going to use these disciples in a great way. So it wasn't the direction God had called them to, but they were, did not wait. Do you ever have a problem with waiting for things? I do. The Bible is replete with people who had a problem with waiting. I think Abraham and Sarah right off the top of my head. We should wait. God's time is not ours, and he is the one who the world revolves around. It's not me. 
I thought it interesting. Someone quipped that the only time the disciples caught anything was when Jesus was around. The only time that you think, you think back. Oh, cast your line into the, and, and, and pull out a fish and you'll get a coin. We've not caught anything. Throw it on the other side. Throw over here. Do that. Cast out into the deep. Launch out to the deep and put down your nets for a draught. Every time you see them, isn't it interesting that without Jesus we can do nothing? And with him we can do amazing things if we'll just get ourselves out of the way. They're going to try fishing again. Probably Zebedee's boat, the family of Zebedee were a fishing family. We're not sure, but they'd gone all night. Nothing, as you well know, at fishing, the only thing I usually catch are mosquito bites and a bad attitude. That's what I can, except in Minnesota, I actually catch fish there. But otherwise, it's not a lot of good, you know, I'll catch a lot of fish. But it's enjoyable if you're catching fish. If it's not so discouraging. By the way, the Lord was not leading Peter back to the fishing business. It was a reputable business, but that's not what God had for him. MacArthur says the disciples' unsuccessful experience at something they knew how to do well was a lesson from the Lord about their inability to go back to their former lives. There's nothing wrong with fishing. It's a respectable profession, but it was not what the Lord had called them to do. They were called to be fishers of men. So we must narrow down what is it God has called you and I to do. So that's the presumptuous move Second is a patient master, starting in four, and we see the master's presence. He knew all about them. Charlie and I were talking about in Sunday school, omnipotent, omnipresent. Satan's not omnipresent. God is. So that's why I went, and he's also omniscient. So when Satan in heaven thought, I will, God knew it. See, you and I can hide our rebellion for a while because we don't verbalize it because you can't read my mind, I can't read yours. But, Satan, but Satan's mind was read by God. So, I will exalt my... Well, out he goes. His choice. The Master's presence. He was ready for them in verse 4. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore by the disciples and knew not that it was Jesus, that Jesus said unto them, Children. Interesting word. Have you any meat? Children is a, a term of endearment, if you would. Uh, the word is paidon, P-A-I-D-O-N. Speaking of a child, children, have you any meat? He loves them. I like that endearing term. Have you caught anything yet? Any fish to eat? 26, he said unto them, cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. If we will just cast and do as he wants, he will honor our decisions as we obey him. But if we're determined to go on our own, just, he's going to let you go on your own. They had toiled all night and caught nothing, so perhaps about time to catch a break. We call it today catch a break. No pun intended there. But catch some fish this time. And over the side it goes, and here they start pulling in the, the fish. He, not only he was ready for them, he recognized them in seven. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter. And remember, who's this? The disciple whom Jesus loved. Therefore John said to Peter, oh, that's much quicker. But John is so humble about it. This, the disciple, now perhaps... I might say it, the very handsome man that Stephanie loved said to Mr. Stevens. Or we could say, Pastor Stim said to Mr. Stevens. I sort of like the very handsome man. That's the, no, I'm just teasing, but those kind of, the, the disciple whom Jesus, perhaps he liked to remind himself of the relationship with Jesus. The disciple whom Jesus loved. For God so loved the world. And I'm just one of them. We could almost say, I'm Jeremy Boyles. The man who Jesus loves. I could say, I'm Tim Wright. The man who Jesus loves, and he loves you as well. Couldn't that be a, a lead-in for a witness to someone? 
He loved, for God so loved the world that he gave. He was recognized by them. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it, Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded on his fisherman's cloak. Now, they weren't completely naked, but this wore just very little clothes. And he cast himself into the sea. I don't think they were completely naked. I just, just had a little loincloth on to, over the sea time, etc. And, and the net was bursting to a point. And he jumps into the sea ahead of all the others. And he perhaps remembers a similar occasion in Luke 5. That was the occasion when they forsook all and followed him. No sooner had John spoken that Peter recognized the truth. And he jumps into the water to get to Jesus. Don't you think he longed to have that restoration? They saw Jesus on the resurrection day. But that wouldn't you want to be restored to service? You have it's the most shameful thing you've ever done in your entire life. You denied the Savior. And, and don't you, but you know you were wrong, and you want that forgiveness, and you want to get that settled and and go forward. I want to do something. Peter's the active one. A patient master. We see the master's presence and then the master's provision. How he involved them all. Verse 8. Would there please how he involved them all. And hmm, the other disciples came in a little ship. For they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits. Dragging the, the net with the fishes. As soon then as they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coals burned there, and fish laid on and bread. And Jesus said unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have caught. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty-three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Peter was not quite as orderly as the other and jump in to get to Jesus first. We can picture that small boat coming in in the shallows, perhaps was at 300 feet approximately from the shore. The others are going to help, trying to bring the boats in. On the shore, there's a fire. Now, remember, this is about Peter. The last time we see Peter with a fire, very bad night, very bad morning. He's warming his hands by the fire. You're one of his disciples. I don't know him. You're a disciple. Oh, I don't know him. The third time, and with the oath, I don't know this man. Like the rooster right over here that crows any time of day. And he crows. That's the last fire. So when Peter comes up and sees Christ and a fire, ding, 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 goes right. Don't you have those little mental, mental triggers? The one thing that just sort of trigger a, a, rem, a, a remembrance. And most of mine are when I did something really wrong. It's a, it's a bad, sometimes it just triggers that. Every once in a while it'll be a good trigger. But Peter, the fire is going to trigger that I denied the Lord. The word is the same and occurs only in these two places in John 18, 18, here and there. Same word for the fire. So we find that Peter's going to be reminded, remember, he's bringing him to the point of next week, lovest thou me. So before anything else could be done, and just don't, Christ commanded them to bring some of the fish they had caught in verse 10 and 11, and Peter was glad to be doing something. He, can you imagine the strength of Peter? He goes in there in the verses and hauls that net with 153 fishes and brings it to shore. He must have been a man among men. Far, he must have been like, uh, I don't know if he's Andre the Giant or Hulk Hogan or somebody like that. Maybe he was the rock. I don't know. Dwayne Johnson, Peter, Simon, Simon Peter. I don't know, but he brought them to land. He's no weakling. He's sometimes called in different commentaries the big fisherman. 
153 fishes, uh, I'll have to say Henry Morris does a great length of going to the numerical, uh, what this 153 means. A serial of Alexander breaks it down to three simple elements. A hundred was 50 plus three. The hundred is representing the fullness of the Gentiles, 10 times 10. Uh, we find that the 50 is supposed to indicate the remnant of Israel according to election, and the number 3 to represent the Trinity. So that's where the 153 fishes, I think, in my thinking, after deep theological study, it means 153 fishes because they're going to sell them. They're going to want to know how much they can get out of them. So they've, they've counted, my goodness, how many do we have here? It's just would be not unnatural to want to count. <laughs> Let me ask you, fishermen, I don't tell the truth necessarily, but don't, don't you count how many fishes? We caught about 55. I don't know. We get, we get 70. I think we got 95. What about 105 fish today? Yeah, 105 fish today. We're supposed to be counting normally. We, I remember Ian and, Ian and I and another guy fished on the James River. We did catch between 95 and 100 smallmouth that day. Wow, man, because we all keep track of that. We wanted to outdo the other. I just have to, it's a, that's an arrogant pride thing. We wanted to see who could catch the most. They wanted probably to, to go sell them on the market, big fish, so they counted there. So you can decide what you want. If you have a Henry Morris study Bible, you can see the elaborate uh, things people have gone through to what that 153 actually means. I think it was 153 fishes. So they're successful. He gives the order to draw the fishes. All of our efforts, Wearsby says, are useless apart from his direction and blessing. During this present age, we do not know how many fish we have caught, and it often appears that the nets are breaking. But at the end of the age, when we see the Lord, not one fish will be lost, and we will discover how many there are. I read the post from Mrs. Bastow yesterday, how that when they have two days of sunshine, and her and she and Ferd are out there, and he knows four dialects, plus English, four dialects, and he's the evangelism man. And she's the supporter and how he goes out all the time and sharing the gospel. And they, they have six churches they've got going. So, I mean, they've, they've done a lot of that. And, and it puts me, I, I feel shamed when you consider how much they ha- are doing for the cause of Christ as far as getting the gospel out. We don't know how much. We're having, we have a part of that. I told them yesterday, I typed in there, a privilege to partner with you in ministry. And sent that to her on Facebook. Something similar to that. We, we have a privilege, but they are... We've, we don't know what's going to happen. Adoniram Judson mentioned him on Wednesday night. He, he served in Burma, now Myanmar. And he got so discouraged, lost his first wife while he was being, he, they tortured him in prison. There was a coup, there was a taking over, and they would grab the missionaries. They thought they were white spies uh, from the white nations or, or for British nations, etc. And they would put up their ankles and they would pull them up by their ankles and leave only their shoulders on the floor. For like a year, he was imprisoned like that. Because he was from uh, England, some other non-Burmese country. And then while he's there, his first wife and, and then daughter died. And he went into such a spiritual, we're talking about tonight, such a spiritual lethargy, he went out to the, to the jungles, tiger-infested jungles, built a, dug a grave and sat by it for 40 days at one time, meditating on where's God? Where's God? Got remarried, Sarah Boardman. They had eight children in nine, eight children in eleven years. She died. Got married a third time, and he died before the first that one did. But she also lived a very short time after they got married. He had, he had like four to six happy years of his life. What, why he saying that? Because he translated the Bible into the Burmese language, and it, at one point in time, it was like I'm thinking it was like thirty seven hundred congregations who've heard the gospel, not just Mr. Judson, but others. 
suffered so much. We don't know how much Paul, can you imagine the, the crowns for Paul in glory? How many have heard the gospel and been saved through the preaching of Paul, through the pastors, through his word, through the Holy Spirit's writing? Fishers of men. So how the Lord involved them all. Then we see how Jesus invited them. Verse 12, our theme for today. He saith unto them, come and dine. Come and dine. Remember when at the very beginning of the Gospel of John, they, they see Jesus in chapter 1, 35 to 39, and they say, he says, come and see. Where do you live? Come and see. Now he says in 21, come and dine. He's saying to us today, come and dine. Come and see who I am. Then come and dine. And I will add, go and serve. You've, you've, you've eaten. You, you understand who I am. Now tell others, go and serve. Isn't that one of the, come, one of the greatest invitational words uh, and different invitational hymns. Come, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Because God uses in Genesis to Noah. Did Noah, he say go? No, he said, come into the ark. Come into the ark. He says at the end of 21, uh, the end of the Bible, 22.17 of Revelation 22.17. What is the invitation? And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst, Come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. That's the invitation to the the lost mankind to come and experience Christ for themselves. He anticipated their needs. And the word come and dine really means come and have breakfast. The word dine in in the Greek language there indicates the morning meal. Only other place that occurs is Jesus dined with a Pharisee in Luke 11.37. Come and dine. How he involved them. How he invited them. And then finally, we know however how he intimidated them in verse 12. And none of the disciples durst or dared ask him, Who art thou, knowing that he was the Lord? And the Lord cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. It was seen they're standing at a distance. It was interesting. If you look back to the New Testament appearances, in some regards you may be able to say that Jesus withheld his appearance until he wanted them to see who he really was. Cleopas and his, maybe his wife. Mary Magdalene in the morning, here, and they, sometimes he, maybe in the, in the room, he immediately recognized him. Perhaps he withheld them from seeing who he was until the point in time. Now they know it is the Lord. But it's not the same relationship. Before it was more of a camaraderie. There's 13 of them going from town to town and before his crucifixion, and they all have, and maybe they would even, I, I don't know, their arm around him at some point in time. I don't know how it all worked there and before he's died, but now he's died and he's the risen Lord. Just not quite the same thing anymore. There was the promise. You know, he was God all this time. But there was that. You see the difference? He's the, the promised one who's going to die. He is the risen Lord who has died. And his body's different. So they know him, but yet it's not the same. It's, it's sort of like people who have heard about Jesus believe there's a God. And you and me, which I would include, hopefully include all of you in this, you and me who know Christ as Savior. It's a big difference between, isn't there not a big difference between that? People say, oh, I know who God is, that they have no relationship. I'm telling you, there's a big difference. Peter, I imagine his conscience was tormented. 
take his bread and give them fish in 13 likewise. And that culture, by the way, when you ate with somebody, it was a bond of friendship. Isn't that something? I think, well, I'm pretty sure we're eating in heaven. I can't wait. It will be something to have tables. We we went to the uh, buffet called, if you ever go to the Amish country, was it Maple? Shady Maple. You need to go to the Shady Maple Buffet. 200 feet of buffet bar. 200 feet. It's like about, I don't know, 10, 12 foot bars and they're a little bit angled so you can go around. They put people through there. They can feed 1,500, a group of 1,500 people. It's amazing. And there is more, I feel guilty even now to think back about it, more food there. And then we went to the Miller Smorgasbord, which I would think probably is my favorite. And then we went to the Deaners and... Wow, I, I try, I'm trying to cut back on all after I got back from, I'm going to stop eating so much. I got to cut back. I think I put on 500 pounds in that. I don't know. Anyway. Can you imagine? We're going to sit down. I'm going back to the point. I'll sit down at the table with Jesus and the disciples. And maybe across from you is Adoniram Judson. Maybe across from you is Billy Sunday. Perhaps across from you is Charles. No, we'll never get to see Charles Spurgeon for maybe a million years. But one day it'll be my turn to sit down then someday it's going to be my mom and dad. And Mrs. Walter, who I didn't know that well, she died so early in our marriage. And Brother Chet, your dad. And it's going to be amazing. And we'll have this time, Pastor Wayne, we'll have this time to be together because God's so gracious to us. Come. Come and dine. Won't that be amazing? But you have to be ready. You have to be ready to go. You have to be ready. A presumptuous move. I go a fishing. A patient master. And he wants to involve us. I, I, I just read this. It was September the 1st of this year. I thought it might fit in. I, I just I want to use it. It's called the unfinished task. Lord, please don't let me leave this world with an unfinished task of work left undone, of all that you ask. I've been blessed in many ways. God, use me yet in my latter days. I've known so much of the goodness of God, walked in the paths where good men trod. This, Lord, I request at my sunset time that my work will be completed as I tow the line. From time to eternity, tis only a step. May none of my tasks be left unkept. Only to please you, Lord, is my final request, to do my duty, to give my best. I've been so blessed, what more could I ask than to finish my course and leave no unfinished task? That's it. I think Pastor Wayne left no unfinished task. He served all the way. As long as God gave him breath, he praised the Lord. And that is you and I. I don't know what the Lord's called you to do. Seth's going to the missionary short missions trip maybe the lord's going to use that to call him to serve in somewhere across the world maybe the lord's going to call seth to pastor a church in our local area i don't know but the thing is the best ability is availability to do what god wants you to do perhaps you need to get a little more umption in your gumption in your spiritual walk i don't know but what we don't want to leave is behind an unfinished task i remember when i was mowing first started mowing and and i would try to shortchange my dad on not you know getting not doing all the stuff i was supposed to do mark and i were just talking this week about how i miss we both miss our dad my dad and my uncle misses my dad 
He just was an encourager. And he was the MacGyver. If I ever met MacGyver, it was my dad. He could fix anything with duct tape. He was just a fixer-upper. I'm just so not that. But he, he, worked, he would work all day long helping people. And then he had to study until late in the night to study because he'd been spending all his time helping somebody else. He didn't want to leave behind any unfinished tasks. May God help us as we close up next week. Lovest thou me more than these? Let us pray. Lord, we are humbled by this text. That you, the Holy Spirit, that you'd see fit to add this wonderful epilogue. Peter, Reese, focused on ministry, recommissioned if you would, forgiven of sin, filled with the Spirit, and going forth to share. Lord, we have we are to come and see. We are to come and dine. And now we are to go and serve. Lord, may that last little triangle part there be us this week. May we serve you faithfully. Lord, if there's a need this morning, salvation, baptism, church membership, anything that you've spoken to our hearts about, may we respond. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.